So Mayo, when I was in California and the, all the iPhone 15 stuff was happening, apparently there was this other story brewing. The iPhone 12 is like emitting radiation that's going to kill us all, or and the French people were the first people to realize it, or <laughs> what happened there? Can you explain it to me like I'm five? Because I have not been following it very closely, but it sounds like it blew up quite a bit. Yeah, this got way bigger than it probably should have. Although, anytime a government agency is accusing you know an apple device of emitting too much radiation there's going to be some scrutiny on it right so literally the same like the day before the iphone keynote like the morning of the iphone keynote uh france issued a sales ban on the iphone 12 Uh, so Mm. they basically said that according to their testing the french regulated found that the iphone 12 was exceeding the regulation limits allowed in the country Apple initially responded by um, disputing the findings, saying that the iPhone 12 has been, you know, certified by many international bodies, blah, 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 blah. Um, And they basically were in a bit of an impasse. France was saying that, um, you know, no more phones could be sold of the iPhone 12 and devices should be recalled or whatever. And it was pretty unclear what was going to happen next uh, if it was actually a hardware thing. Of course, it's, you know... The iPhone 12 must have been approved by France originally in 2020 when it came out, otherwise they wouldn't be able to sell it in the first place. So there was some confusion about exactly what has happened here. Uh, and to in some part there still is, but what the claim currently is is that over in the last couple of years, software updates have changed the amount of radiation that the phones emit. Uh, and so now that it's it's not in compliance... Uh, and so basically Apple later in the week after other countries started coming on like uh, you know Germany said it was investigating Belgium said it was reviewing the matter uh, and Apple finally uh, said on the Friday that they have identified that they can reduce the radiation output via software which will bring it back into apply which will supposedly bring it back into compliance with the French regulators concerns uh, France basically said that once the software update is available they will test it to ensure it meets their standards and then they'll remove the bans on the sales of the phone. You know, this is somewhat um, immaterial because obviously this week Apple stopped selling the iPhone 12, right? Because the iPhone 15 came out, so all the old phones go down the line and the oldest one on the list was iPhone 12, so that's not sold anymore. Although that also, that that coincidence, I think, fueled some of the conspiracy theories like Apple knew all along the iPhone 12 was bad and now they've got to stop it from being sold, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there was, there was some nonsense about that flying around. Uh, but it was just a funny story because, like, it's pretty rare that you see uh, a regulator say that an uh, you know like an Apple product is not a compliance with safety standards. Uh, obviously, radiation has a lot of um, negative connotation attached to it because of like X rays, right? Like those kind of radio radio waves. If you're exposed to them too much, then yeah, that that can hurt your body. And you know that's why doctors are very careful about um, you know saying you can go for an X ray or not if you've been. You can only go once every few years or whatever. Like there's like a cap on it, in case, or if only if the accident you're in serious enough, right? So they, you know, X-rays are like a last resort. The radiation that's a different kind of radiation, right? Like the radiation that's emitted from phones is on completely different frequencies and far less um, dangerous than X-rays. Like it's so less dangerous by like orders of magnitude. It's like almost kind of unfair to call it radiation because it's not really the same difference, right? And there's been plenty of studies over the last. 20 years about the usage of humans and phones and, and measuring the radiation that they produce. And so far, nobody has said that you know, radiation from phones is dangerous to humans in any way at all. And even if like 
the the iPhone 12 was exceeding the national standard by double, it still would make no difference to the safety of the device, right? So it's a bit of a you know song and dance about nothing in some regard. But of course, at the end of the day, Apple has to make products that comply with the standards of the countries, right? And so this was a serious matter in that France found that the iPhone 12 somehow had exceeded those requirements. And Apple initially, like, basically rebuked the findings entirely and said, the, you know, in nicer words that France don't know what we're talking about. And then they later <laughs> peddled that back and said, oh, we're going to release a software update to sort this out. It's bad PR. I, I, you know, like, even if it physically doesn't affect phone sales of because the iPhone 12 isn't around anymore, uh, it's not good to have, like, news headlines where... You know, it's right, yeah. It basically says a country's regulator has said that the iPhone is exceeding radiation limits. Like, uh, it's not, it's not good uh, press for sure. And it's also like if software updates over the years, because what the iPhone 12 was 2020, 5G, and at some point over the past three years, software updates have changed the radiation levels. So is that gonna prompt more like stringent testing by regulators in every country? Because that's weird to think that software can affect something like that because like you said it was approved initially i mean software software controls everything doesn't it so yeah you, you need like a firmware update to change which radio like how strong the radios are being pushed or under what conditions and stuff so i, I can see why it can happen um but yeah you'll imagine that apple might have just put some additional checks in place so this doesn't happen again yeah right but yeah funny funny little story that happened amidst the craziness of the new product launches the reason I pre-ordered an iPhone 15 is because I was concerned about my iPhone 12's radiation. <laughs> so, man, pre-orders were so bad this year. I know you didn't like dive into it because you. How was your Apple Watch experience? It took you about yeah, 30 that, seconds. You know, and- what was kind of funny is on Wednesday um, or Tuesday, the the demand for the Apple Watch pre-orders didn't take the site down. You know, I just kind of yeah. <laughs> casually uh, did a few articles on the site about news, and then you know pressed the buy button on the Apple Watch. And funnily enough, they weren't out of stock or anything because. All those new features in the Series 9 are just too too compelling to ignore. Uh, yeah, I, I sailed right through and had no issues whatsoever. Oh, but that's obviously on the Tuesday. The Friday was the iPhone pre-order situation, and that was pretty bad, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, the website and the app were both down till... So pre-orders began at 8 a.m. my time. I don't think they came back online until about like 8.20, 8.25, and meanwhile, like other people in our Slack, other people on Twitter placed their pre-orders right at eight. So I think I just kind of lost the CDN lottery yeah. in that regard. I had that last year when I was buying the 14 Pro. Yeah. Uh, like the store just wasn't up. It was just down, down, down. Everyone else is buying phones and refreshing. Store not available. You know, it didn't matter whether you're on the app or the website. And then eventually 20 minutes, 25 minutes passed and it let you in. And my brother did order a phone uh, this year. He got 15 Pro. And he had the exact same thing as you. He couldn't get in either. And what well, on, on the dot of the hour took a good 20, 25 minutes. And even when he got through to the store pages, the checkout experience was just like glitching out. Like you'd add it to the bag and then it didn't disappear. Work. Or like yeah. the crowd would be denied. Like, you know, this. Eventually he got it and then he got launch day delivery. But it wasn't the smoothest uh, phone ordering experience there ever has been. Which is funny because this year Apple had that additional thing where you could get ready for right. the pre-orders yeah. by basically pre-ordering twice, right? Like you could pre-authenticate your payment method, um, you know, choose your model, have it all ready to go with the idea being that once pre-orders actually started on the Friday, you could just press one button and check out. But there were there were issues in the system, that's for sure. That did not work for me. So, so I was ordering two iPhone 15 Pro Maxes, one 256 
white titanium for my wife and one 512 natural titanium for me. And we did the pre-save option for both of us on each of our Apple IDs. So we had two different ways to get in. And it worked for my pre-order, but for my wife's pre-order, it didn't work. And she had done, she was joining the iPhone upgrade program for the first time. So I'm guessing that was probably like the roadblock, but she went through the entire approval process when we did the prepare for pre-order thing. It still was like we're talking to Citizens One, which is the bank that Apple partners with, blah, blah, blah. And that connection was just really wonky and it kept throwing up errors. So what we ended up doing was just going back through apple.com and doing like a T-Mobile trade-in offer or whatever. So she didn't get to join the iPhone upgrade program, but she was more fixated on having day one delivery, (laughs) which we both got for both of the units. We still managed to get day one delivery, even though we were 25, 30 minutes late. But I, I don't understand how this is still so bad. I mean, obviously there's like, what, probably millions of people trying to pre-order on launch day? Yeah, I mean, went back when Apple announced pre-order numbers or like sales numbers, they'd sell, what, 10 million in the three-day weekend. So you must have millions of pre-orders happening. It's also funny just that they still take the store down. Probably no real reason, like just the drama of it all, the suspense of it all. And then it still doesn't work properly. Yeah. Every year nowadays, there's problems every year. And you'd think maybe that, that that pre-save feature was trying to limit the amount of like requests the website would have to serve when the store go to go up or something, but uh, it clearly didn't didn't work this time. It, I don't know if this is just anecdotal, but it feels like it got the store ordering pre-orders got worse in recent yeah. years. Like yep. for a while, it was like you know back in you know go to back ten years and it was like panic mania, and then it kind of eased off and got a lot better. And then you know the last three or four years, there's been. A, you have issues where people aren't allowed to get into the store until way later for whatever reason, like the CDN caches aren't cleared. And then you have just like the glitchiness with the stability of the of the checkout process. Um, so it's kind of wonky. I wonder if it's correlated at all to like, because you used to only really be able to pre-order an iPhone or buy an iPhone through Apple.com, through Apple or with a carrier connection. But now you can do all the different like carrier trade-in promos and mm. iPhone upgrade program and Apple Card monthly installments. There's a lot of like additional ways and additional hoops you might have to jump through. And the Apple server probably has to talk to like 10 more different servers just to verify that you can do X, Y, right. and Z. Yeah. And yeah. There's a lot of gump there that they never used to do. But that is why, well, one of the reasons why they've added that pre-save system, right? So you can do all the steps beforehand. But maybe because this was the first year they did that, that it just didn't work properly. And it just caused more problems yeah. than, than it actually solved. But maybe one day they'll they'll sort it out. At least you don't have to queue in person anymore, you know. That was that was a good old nightmare. And Apple could very easily make those lines come back. Like, I think people out there have some, you know, misconception that, like, the products just aren't as popular anymore. That's why the lines aren't as long. No, Apple just made it, like, less. They just disincentivized queuing, right? They gave people longer windows, come back at any time of the day, just made people more order online than going to stand in front of a store. Like, they could go back to the model they were doing 10 years ago if they really just wanted to get the longest lines possible but the lines were getting so long i think it was causing like health and safety issues <laughs> so they, they kind of yeah i think covid is what really like put a, a nail in that coffin yeah it, it, they've been they've been deprioritizing it yeah. like before that but yeah obviously once covid came around they're like no we're not doing this anymore at all after i placed the pre-order what i thought successfully i got an email like two hours later saying action required there was an error with your payment method 
And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> what happened? And it turns out I was clicking like so fast I chose an old American Express card that I had to cancel because I left it. I was in New Orleans with Zach at a bar. I left the card at the bar, whatever. I had to cancel it. And I was like, oh, God, I need to update this payment method. And I'm sure this is going to delay me from launch day delivery. So I need to just cancel the order and try again. But surprisingly, I updated the payment method in like two clicks and it's still coming tomorrow. Fingers crossed. According to UPS and Apple. so. And you didn't order anything else, right? Just the phones? The phones and I, the fine woven cases, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I think. And USB-C AirPods. You, oh, you ordered the USB-C AirPods? US, AirPods, not AirPods. Oh, AirPods. AirPods. Okay, okay. Air, $19 yeah. instead of $250. Just, just, do you actually use them or you just bought it for the fun of it? Usually, like whenever I travel or something, I keep AirPods like in my backpack. Just, just as a backup case. in case I lose my AirPods or if right, they're okay, dead yeah, yeah, when yeah. I need them. So I'll just keep these in my backpack. And apparently they support lossless audio on the Mac or something. Yes. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, you won't. Trust me, you won't be able to hear the, the, the quality through those buds. It's just not. That's what I was just about to say. I plugged them in this morning to hear that great, crisp, good lossless audio with the good mids and the good highs and the good bass and all that and sounded exactly the same. Yeah, you Like... Lossless is better than compressed audio, but you need to be like, you need room filling speakers, you know, like huge speakers right, to actually yeah. have a chance of telling it. And even then, it's very, very slight. Like music compression, AAC or whatever Apple uses, is, is very good and it's tuned for like making it sound as, because it basically just rips out frequencies that mostly it's compressing fr- by r- removing frequencies that the human can't hear anyway, right? Like, so that's how right, those yeah. algorithms are designed. So, you know, lossless is a big, is a big, uh, um, not fraud because it, there is technically a very minor difference, but it's not worth it's not worth buying, especially for like ear, basically earbuds, headphones. You're not yeah. going to tell the difference. Yeah, you need like studio speakers. One thing I didn't realize until I was going to order those earpods last week is that they're nineteen dollars, and the USB C to Lightning adapter is twenty nine dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand how that math makes any sense at all, but. I didn't order the USB-C to lightning adapter because I can't really figure out why I would use it. It's only if you've got like a car with a lightning port on it or you have, you know, maybe lightning speakers that existed for a little while, like the speaker dock things. And for some reason, you want to have another dongle in the way. But it's very, very rare situations. Um, I was thinking I probably need to order like just a few more spare USB-C cables, whether mm. I go through Apple or just a random Amazon seller. Because I have a lot of USB-C cables, but I also still have a lot of lightning cables just laying around that are in like in a couple places like in the house, which I still need to keep those for like AirPods Max, AirPods Pro, and a Siri remote or two. But still probably also need to pick up a couple spare USB-C to USB-C cables. Yeah, one thing that is a bit of a swizz on the cable front is that the Apple Store doesn't sell USB-3 cables. You can buy charge cables which are the usb 2 speed cables right which you know most people are going to buy perfectly fine but if you want to take advantage of the higher speed port on the iphone 15 the only option from apple is to buy a thunderbolt cable which is backwards compatible oh, yeah. usb 3 but is overkill right because that that can do like 40 gigabit speeds but the iphone can only do 10 gigabit usb 3 if you want to buy a usb c cable that supports usb 3 you have to go to amazon or something apple doesn't actually sell you a cable so you can buy like their 
$20 cables, which is just the charge cables, or you can pay like $70 and up for one of their Thunderbolt cables at least that they'll sell you. But if you just want like a USB 3 data cable, uh, Apple won't sell you any. You've got to go to like Amazon or something and you'll be able to find them for like, you know, $20, $30 rather than like... The, the, the Thunderbolt cables do a lot more, but they're also way more expensive. They're like more than twice the price. So if you are out there and you have a 15 Pro or Pro Max and you want to just transfer data quickly, uh, you don't need to buy a Thunderbolt cable. You can just buy the USB 3 cables uh, elsewhere. The Thunderbolt 4 1.8 meter USB-C cable from Apple is $129 for good reason to be fair i mean yeah it's a great cable but you don't need that the for an iphone yeah you don't need that for the iphone thunderbolt cables that are longer than 0.5 meters require active stuff inside them they have like chips and stuff for an optical wiring inside like they do they're pretty complicated cables the 0.5 meters and less are just passive cables so they're a lot cheaper to make which is what gets shipped with all the you know the docks and stuff you buy there was coming 0.5 meter cables um data cables right not just charge cables um yeah, so the 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 one point eight meter cable is like over a hundred dollars, but there is a reason for it. Uh, you know, Apple's still giving you markup compared to the party thumbbell cables you can buy, but they're also still you know three digit prices generally. So it's not just like crazy price, but yeah, if, that is overkill. If you have a fifteen pro and you want for some reason the ten gigabit data speed, buy elsewhere than Apple dot com. One other random accessory thing I found out this week is I was looking for like a new standby dock for iOS 17. Mm. And so many of them are sold out. (laughs) The 12 South ones that Apple shows off in their videos are gone. A couple of the Belkin ones are sold out. I did see there's a material dock from Studio Neat that looks kind of cool, but I think it's available, but backordered a little bit. I'm sure for 12 South being in all those Apple videos, it's like the biggest boost to their business in years. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Because Apple could have very easily made a little bit of plastic, but they, they chose not to. Which is shocking. We are sponsored this week by the award-winning to-do app, Things. The best way to achieve a goal is to make a plan. And the best way to make a plan is to use Things. Use Things to create a project, add steps, and choose which days you'll work on them. And then each morning, Things will prepare your to-dos for the day so you know what needs doing and you can get on and just do it. Your to-do sync to the cloud to be available automatically across all of the Things apps. That's Mac, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch. You can connect your calendar, schedule repeating to-dos, add rich notes with Markdown, and much more. Things prides itself on its thoughtfully considered design, polished to perfection, and built using Apple's native SDKs, so it looks and works great. It's no surprise that Things is a two-time winner of the Apple Design Award. And new for iOS 17, Things now has interactive widgets, so you can complete a to-do by just tapping the checkbox in the widget right on your home screen. You don't have to open the app. Things also has an optimized widget for the new standby mode. And they have even added support for widgets on the iPadOS 17 lock screen. That's new for this year. And in the new smart stack on Apple Watch with WatchOS 10. So if you haven't tried things before, now is the great time to jump in and check out the latest version. Head over to their website, that's thingsapp.com, thingsapp.com. Learn about all the great features and get a free trial for your Mac. And of course, you can also find it in the App Store. Just search for things. Whatever it is you want to accomplish in life, things helps you get there. Try things today at thingsapp.com. Thanks to Things for sponsoring the show. So I mentioned that I also pre-ordered some fine woven accessories. I got two cases and two wallets. The cases I got in taupe or taupe or whatever like the khaki slash brown color kind of is. Oh, it is khaki. (laughs) Then the wallets I got in mulberry and 
taupe or taupe the, too. I'm not sure you got the pun there, but I'll, I'll. what was the pun? Khaki means like rubbish in Britain. Ka- oh, see, I don't understand your British puns. I know. You don't. I know. I need better explanations. Anyway, the khaki fine woven case uh, lives up to its name. It's awful. All <laughs> the cases in particular are just awful. I don't, and it's not just me. Like at first when I got these, I was like, these seem really bad. Like not a good replacement for leather in the slightest. And then I think it was The Verge yesterday published something where it's like, these are awful. Everybody on Twitter and Mastodon and threads and everything hates them. They're $59 a piece. They feel like they're going to fall apart and scratch and like tear and separate around the edges where the border goes from like the velvety suede whatever material to like a plastic part like that feels like it's destined to fall apart that that's the most disappointing i haven't i haven't had i haven't tried these cases themselves but just looking at the photos the fact that it's not like one piece of material yes you know the back and then the sides separately makes it look so much cheaper like you know the leather and the silicone cases they're just one piece um you know te- okay it's one piece but inside there's multiple layers because they have like a, you know a, a hard bit surrounded by leather but it wasn't like you had like leather on the back and then like plastic on the sides it was like one continuous thing that wasn't seen right. over the place yeah. but the fine woven case whatever you think of like the suede material itself it's the suede material on the back with some you know like a, a plasticky frame just like rubbery plasticky frame like glued to the sides of it almost the suede material feels like fine. It feels a little weird. The biggest thing is just it. First of all, it collects lint and just other debris. Super, super easy. I unboxed them, took a picture for to post on our Instagram account, and I posted it. Then looked and I was like, oh yeah, there's like dust and fingerprints and other stuff all over these cases already. They haven't even been put on a phone. They've been taken out of the box and photographed, and they already look look pretty gross. I don't know what the alternative would be if Apple wanted to get rid of leather. I don't know enough about like vegan leather and vinyl leather and all the alternatives that like some car makers use. Yeah, like Alcantara kind of leather yeah. alternatives. They they're more like a direct replacement for leather, right? Like fine woven is like a different thing entirely. Like it's like a I don't know. If, uh, maybe they're not as environmentally good and they just like help you not kill cows or whatever but the there are like decent fake leathers out there and stuff so they clearly chose not to just do a substitute leather and go in a wholly different direction Uh, but clearly they have failed i've read some things that say the some of like the fake leather alternatives are just as bad for like Mm. the environment in other ways like you might not be killing cows but the process that goes into making them is bad you're probably still using a lot of carbon and stuff like that was apple's like biggest push because you know even during the event they didn't mention the whole animal killing part of the equation no. right? they were just talking about carbon difference and their fine web material for whatever reason is made from a lot of recycled uh bits and it's good for the environment on a carbon basis but that kind of doesn't matter if they're just not very good materials because nobody's going to buy them again they return them make more waste and people are just going to buy leather from leather cases from third parties. Yeah, speaking of accessory makers, that's, this is going to be an also a big boost for their business, like Nomad and Mujo, all of those companies that make really good, but leather cases. Yeah, I have leather. I had the leather Mujo case on my 14 Pro, and it's held up really well, even a, even a year later. But yeah, fine woven is not it. I was excited for the fine woven magnetic, what is it, the magnetic link band or whatever for the apple watch not anymore (laughs) but now i'm far less excited yeah did you order one of those 
No, you can't order them separately yet. Oh, I didn't realize. You can only get it if you buy like a full watch. And based on your experience with the case, it's definitely not worth that. Yeah. (laughs) The MagSafe wallet fine woven update is still weird, but I think they're slightly better than the cases, mainly because they don't have that weird plasticky edges like you talked about, and it's just smaller. There's less of that weird material to get dirty. But one other thing I noticed is I think they made the MagSafe wallet like slightly looser, so it's easier to get your cards in and out. Anybody who uses the MagSafe wallet, especially if you have like an American Express or an Apple card in there, it's hard to fit two cards in your driver's license. Sometimes like I find myself having to like lick my fingers to get enough traction to pull the card out through the little hole on the back which I thought I was like alone in that probably. I was like, that's a really weird thing to do. You should never talk about that. (laughs) But when we were in New Orleans uh, last month with Zach and our publisher, Seth, he was picking up the tab at a restaurant and I looked over and there he is licking his finger, trying to get his cards out of the back of his MagSafe wallet. And I was like, that's good. I'm not just alone in that. That's funny. That's funny. But it seems better on the new fine woven things. Maybe because the fine woven is slightly thinner than the leather material was, but... That is one. If I had to pick one good thing to say about fine woven, that's it. Would it be the fine woven cases of the phone? Would you consider them acceptable if they were cheaper, or is it just that bad that if they should just stop selling them altogether? Maybe if they were cheaper, because then you know the durability is less of a problem. Yeah, if they get scratched up or broken, you just buy another. But they're fifty nine dollars. Yeah, it's pretty expensive. And I, was leather fifty nine or was leather it, like sixty nine? It was either fifty nine or sixty nine. Yeah. yeah, it was in that price bracket for sure. So maybe like this is good for the environment, but I'm guessing it's also very very good for Apple's margins. It's got to be way cases. cheaper than the yeah. other ones. Yeah, you have to assume. You have to assume. I mean, Apple's case, like even their silicon cases aren't super cheap, but this feels almost like an alternative to silicone than like a leather replacement. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think my plan is to either go caseless or maybe get like a clear case from apple or maybe a, like a try to find like a vegan leather alternative from a third party but not fine woven and i don't like apple silicone cases so they i guess they're gonna lose my accessory business this year tim cook will shed a tear i mean it'd be interesting to see what they do next year based on the feedback right like whether they keep going or they update and try a slightly different design i think you've got to have like the seamless material right like have the whole thing all the way around yeah um, so hopefully they go back to the drawing board and, and try again i'm just surprised this ever made it this far to be released surely somebody along the development process was like hey guys i don't think this is very good but it made it all the way through and now you can go give apple money if you want to i wouldn't but you can this week we had what three days of embargoes so Monday was the very thrilling, very exciting AirPods Pro update. Then Tuesday was iPhone and Wednesday was Apple Watch. We'll start with AirPods, what, Pro 2.1 reviews. AirPods Pro, second generation, with MagSafe case, USB-C. What, what a terrible title. What a terrible title. And also my use of AirPods Pro 2.1, not like 2.5, is purposeful. They are not... They're not AirPods Pro 3. They're not AirPods Pro 2.5. They're literally just AirPods Pro 2.1 because that's that's about all there is. They have a USB-C port. Well, so confirmed hardware-wise, they gave them that dust resistance rating, right? So they're yeah. slightly more durable. 
And then they obviously, for the Vision Pro, are going to have this feature which is like lossless audio with ultra-low latency. And the, as we you know, mentioned earlier in the show, the lossless don't care about too much, but the ultra-low latency is important, right, for a immersion inside of the augmented reality experience. Um, but that's exclusive to the USB-C, you know, AirPods 2.1, not available on the second-generation AirPods Pro at all. But it's still unclear whether the the 2.1 earbuds hardware is it actually different or is it just a software lockout right. you know like yeah no and that's kind of what i was hoping the reviews would get an answer on and someone like ask apple directly but they didn't seem to from what i could read or maybe apple just declined to comment uh i can't imagine that the second gen airpods like would support this ultra late latency thing but Apple's just being mean about it. Like Mark Gurman had a tweet uh, this week where he said he knew that Apple engineers were testing the ultra low latency thing with second generation AirPods Pro, not the updated versions, back in like January. Um, so he was surprised that they required a hardware refresh to do it. I'm assuming that there was like they wanted to do it with the second gens, but there was some weird esoteric problem they hit, and they like had to do a hardware revision to like fix over, and they've just done it this way around rather than like you know revving quietly the second gens altogether um but it is kind of it still kind of sucks if you bought the second gens you know like i feel like this has to be a feature that they were intending for the second gen airpods pro to do and then for what there was something happened and they couldn't pull it off and so they've had to like shimmy it into this you know spec bump slash revision that still has the same generation number uh but yeah like the airpods have different model numbers but no one's done like a teardown yet to just be like this antenna right here is slightly different you know like we don't know why the second gens couldn't do it the reviews pretty much all focused on the new software things like conversational awareness adaptive audio all of which are also coming to airpods pro 2 like i don't understand why apple did an embargo for these reviews it's not there's not much to them there's not much to write about the software features are good, and all of the reviews were positive on them for the most part. But we've known about those software features, and they've been in beta since June. That's probably what the briefings were, though, right? They were like, here's AirPods. With, they've got a USB-C button the bottom, and now we're going to recap you all the features that are new with the software. So that's what you're going to basically write about if you were under the embargo. Because um, so- AirPods software doesn't get as much coverage like over the beta period just because it's harder to install AirPods firmware beta. Don't you have to like connect your AirPods to your Mac, download Xcode? Yeah, you have to do some, do a bunch of weird stuff. Do some stuff. I haven't tried any of the new software features because I don't have AirPods Pro. But the reviews did seem to suggest that most of the features they're adding are pretty good, especially like the adaptive audio situation, which is like halfway between transparency and noise cancellation, you know, like dynamic or whatever. Um, so good updates coming, but yeah, nothing to do with the hardware itself. Which one? Is conversational awareness the one where... When somebody starts talking, it yeah, it'll it, like automatically lower. Yeah, the it automatically goes transparency. Basically, yeah. I noticed that when I was on a plane back from WWTC. I think when the pilot or flight attendants would make an announcement, it would lower the volume of my AirPods, but it didn't really work reliably enough to make me give me the peace of mind that I'll always have my volume lowered automatically. And there were times when. The flight attendant would start talking, the volume would go down, then it'd go back up, then it'd go back down, like as the flight attendant was pausing mm. or maybe mumbling a little bit. It's good, but it doesn't work consistently enough, I think, to be fully reliable, if that makes sense. No, I get I get you, I get you. It does remind me of Vision Pro though, how like somebody approaches you 
whatever AR VR experience you're in, you know, it kind of like dims out and you can see the person. Oh, what do they call? They had, a, they had like a name, breakthrough. Yeah, it's like breakthrough. Yeah, the person breaks through that. the virtual experience. Yeah, it's like that, but audio only. Apple Watch reviews also not particularly interesting, but one thing that stood out is that the hardware that reviewers got. So they got an Apple Watch Series 9 and an Apple Watch Ultra 2. But they also got versions of each watch that were running the beta. Is that right? And then they could try Double Tap, which is the feature that's not launching to everyone until next month. So they got two versions of each watch, only one of which supported Double Tap. Yeah, they they were basically instructed, use this watch just to show off the Double Tap thing. And then put it in a drawer because we don't want you testing any other pre-release software because <laughs> it's clearly running like a build of WatchOS 10.1, right, yeah. right? And so then, all, so if you look at all these reviews, the press reviews, there's like one picture with this like weird band on, which is the double tap watch, and then every other photo is with the shipping one, um, which they're allowed to like assess everything else about the product with. Uh, I think it's good that Apple did seed the pre-release software because otherwise the watch reviews would be yeah. super thin, like. Double tap's the big new feature. It's just not ready at launch. Um, so if they hadn't have done this, it would have been really awkward. Uh, so I'm, I, it was, it's, I mean, it's still awkward that you have to review pre-release stuff or whatever. And some of these sites will then follow up when it's actually shipping because that's like journalist integrity. But they had to do it and I'm glad they did because otherwise the watch reviews would be just as thin as the AirPods 2 reviews, the AirPods 2.1 reviews. It did seem that a lot of people were happy with the improvements to Siri. So what is it? Siri is now on device and the S9 chip kind of helps the speed at which Siri responds. Yeah, previously the watch would have to go to the server to interpret what you said. Now it can do at least some of that on device. And so things like setting timers or alarms um, can just be immediately or, or starting a workout that can be, you know, your voice can be transcribed and then interpreted all on device. So it's a lot faster. Whereas before you could get in situations where, you know, you maybe had a connection to the Wi-Fi, but it was pretty weak. And so the watch would send the request and then you just see like the loading spinner and it would load. Siri so would go, I'm working on it. I'm loading. I'm loading. <laughs> and then finally you get a response. So that slow loop will now be far less common because the most frequent things i ask the watch to do are set timers uh and yeah you know probably set timers and check the weather the weather one is still requiring internet connection right to get the forecast but at least in the timers case it should be almost instant and there were some good video demos from like cnet and stuff where they would ask the question and then like under a second later the time would be starting so good speed improvements there similar basically it's the same thing they did to the iphone siri and i think 2021 they did that um they they took it more on device there too but now they're doing it on the watch because the chip's finally powerful enough to do it so um that's pretty good some reviewers did mention that they were getting better battery life than the previous generation yeah but because they you know you only had four four days or whatever between um them getting the units and testing it no one had really done extensive battery life testing but a couple of the things i read did say like the apple watch ultra was they they had like you know the Apple Watch Ultra one on one wrist, the Apple Watch Ultra two on the other wrist, and by the end of the day, the one was like ten percent more depleted. So maybe there's some little battery surprises to be seen, but that's really the only thing you know when you've got like the watch for a while, and you can feel like, oh yeah, I'm not having to, I'm I'm ending the day and still having more percentage than I used to. Uh, it's a, but yeah, the Apple Watch review. It's exactly what um, I expected to be. People said double tap does work pretty reliably. Um, and useful. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yes, I know it was in accessibility before, but obviously it's more productized now. And um, 
if like a if a notification comes in you can just double tap and do the direct action so the example that a lot of these videos had was you know that thing that happens when if you just start walking it will say it will prompt you like it looks like you're doing an outdoor walk do you want to start the workout well before if, if you know you're walking along the road or down the street or whatever you're you have, you get the tap you look at your watch and then you have to if you see it's that notification you want to press start workout you then have to bring your whole other hand up just to click the button yeah. on the screen then go down again like it's so much easier to just to just do that little tap gesture with your fingers on the same hand so yeah i think it'll be a nice little convenience obviously that feature alone should not mean you should upgrade your watch if you've got any recent watch version but coming from a series four uh, i'll take that little feature as a bonus so yeah i'm looking forward to that and i imagine if they're already pre-release seeding watchOS 10.1 devices that the 10.1 beta can't be that far away like i'll get my watch tomorrow with the release software probably before the end of september the 10.1 betas will start right and then i'll be able to yeah, do double probably tap next it. week yeah next week yeah the use case for double tap that i've been thinking of not that i'm upgrading from my ultra one to the ultra two just for double tap but you're walking the dog and you have the leash in one hand and you need to do something on your watch like like control playback or manage your workout you could just double tap without having to like awkwardly change how you're holding the dog leash and raise your hands up to control it so that's a good use case i think but yeah like you said there's no reason to upgrade from ultra one to ultra two or from what would you say like series seven series eight even probably yeah, even i mean i think for the apple watch you could series six easily you could stay on without, without upgrading it's just a it's just a longer arc of a device um like most people don't upgrade the iphone for four years you know like so yeah you would think real world the watch can last even longer um you know the iphone is really the only product apple sells where there are reasons to upgrade year over year over year yeah and most people don't do it right because it's just impractical uh some of the reviews pointed out that the 3000 nit brightness on the Apple Watch Ultra 2 was more noticeable than they expected, which surprised me because I was operating under the assumption that you'd probably only really be able to notice it on like the flashlight pop-up thing. But apparently like in direct sunlight, it's considerably better. There was, I think it was the CNET review where the reviewer said they were on a hike and in direct sunlight and the Apple Watch Ultra 2 was much better than the first generation. Yeah, and the the torchlight boost is the the way that you get to three thousand nits in the flashlight mode. So uh, we haven't really seen this before. You open the torch from control center on the watch, yeah, and then you scroll mm-hmm. the digital crown, and it makes it even brighter. And that that boosts it from like the two thousand nit to the three thousand nit brightness, and that lasts for like thirty seconds, and then it can't sustain it much more. That it goes back. Yeah. Down. Uh, otherwise, you'll see three thousand nits if you're in like super bright sunlight or whatever, and you're like yeah. raising your wrist to check the time. And there were some side-by-side photos, and yeah, I could say you could actually tell the difference. So I was surprised by that too. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet? Like after spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find that perfect tool for the job. I did this recently to find a new lawnmower and... It's amazing when you find the right product. Five-star reviews can get it shipped in 48 hours. Glorious. But how come you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment? And how do you know if they're even good in the first place? 
Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I need this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Pro reviews. I think we've talked about the colors of these phones quite a bit. But the one thing I'll say, just one more thing, is that the <laughs> iPhone 15 colors in MKBHD's video, he had the blue and the yellow, and they both looked awful. Considerably worse than what they looked like in Steve Jobs Theater. Hard to even tell the two apart, and they both just look white. Did you notice this? I it, do think that might have been his video. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like, they were. it kind of looked like kind of blown out. I thought even his face looked a bit blown out in that video he did. It didn't look like he had his usual setup. Um, so I didn't want to super trust that for colors. But it is true. The iPhone 15 colors are pale. Like You need you need good lighting. You probably need to be in person. If you do take a video of them, there's a decent chance that the video will distort what they actually look like. It reminds me a lot of like Midnight versus like Space Gray. You know? Yeah. You, you take a lot of photos of Midnight watches or whatever and they basically just look black or gray. But if you get them in person, you look reasonably closely. You can see the hints of blue come through, right? Um, or even like space black versus space gray on the iPhones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're similar, but there are differences. And videos, you know, between white balance, you know, grading, compression, they, they mess it up. It would be nicer if Apple was shipping colors that were way more distinct such that those factors didn't really matter, but... That's not the that's not the world we live in. I do think the blue and the yellow in real life all look blue and yellow. They won't look like white, but I prefer if they were more blue. Well, you know, <laughs> if they were more colourful. There was a funny um, like meme going around where people had got the compare page up for the like the iPhone 12, 13, oh, yeah, 14, and fifteen, this. and it was just the blue. And like on the far left, it's like a really really deep blue, and then it just gets lighter and lighter and lighter <laughs> until you get the pastel pale blue of the iPhone fifteen. And the, the, the tweet was like, they've run out of ink or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot that every review felt the need to point out how lame the colors are. And the same was true for the iPhone 15 Pro. The Pacific Blue or whatever it's called looked decent, but it looked like it could get super fingerprinty and it's kind of scratched up pretty quick. White titanium looked pretty nice. Natural titanium seemed to be the favorite in pretty much every review. What's the other one? Space gray? Is Space black titanium? Yeah, they just call it black titanium, yeah. It looks fine. It's. I think the black one looks kind of cool this year. The the scratching is a concern, like, on that titanium band. Yeah. The Apple Watch titanium, when you got the space black one, plenty of people that own that would scratch it up and you'd see the color come through. So I expect that will happen here too over time. It, 
you know if it happens on day one then we'll have a gate out of it if it just happens in <laughs> you know the course of months and it's just natural wear but i expect it will happen uh but on the flip side the stainless steel would scratch as well if you gave it to oh you, yeah not too much so it's probably like a you know a toss-up there in terms of what's better or not um i think the titanium's cool but i like the stainless i like the stainless steel as well to be fair stainless steel look cool remember the jet black iphone 7 best one it, it was fantastic but durability wise terrible what did micro that call abrasions, micro, micro abrasions micro abrasions yeah that was it was because it was literally just glass like just yeah the and they were super hard to get and they were they didn't la- the jet black didn't launch at the same time as the rest of the colors and you had to get the higher spec model like the base storage wouldn't come in jet black that was a thing oh really i didn't yeah, know that the base storage didn't support didn't let you buy it uh but yeah, they, I mean, that was so bad they put microabrasions on like the description when you ordered it. So, <laughs> beware, this will get microabrasions. But before it before it got scratched at all, it did look pristinely cool. Pristinely cool. USB-C, about what we were expecting. MKBHD's video had a couple things I thought were interesting. He said that if you plug a Lightning iPhone into a USB-C iPhone the USB-C iPhone will always share power to the Lightning iPhone. So if you plug an iPhone 14 into an iPhone 15, the iPhone 15 will charge the iPhone 14, regardless of the current battery levels of each phone. But if you plug in an iPhone 15 to an iPhone 15, the bat- there's like a handoff process somewhere in there where the what the higher-charged iPhone will always charge the lower t- lower charged iphone yeah and that's that's not just like an iphone specific thing that's a standard a, in the USB-C yeah. power delivery standard so i believe max and stuff work the same way because they basically just communicate their battery percentage and then the higher one charges the smaller one he tried plugging in various different android phones into the iphone 15 and because of the lack of USB-C power delivery support on a lot of android phones it was basically a toss-up as to whether the iphone would charge the android phone or vice versa his advice was just to keep plugging it in and unplugging it until you got the arrangement that you wanted. <laughs> it's a funny thing, but like people aren't going to do that, right? Like, I feel like you would share... I feel like this is a pretty good use case of the USB-C port, though. No, it's not. It is, too. You're not going dr- to... Right, it's going to take you forever to charge another person's phone. It will. Phone. 4.5 watts. Yeah, 4.5 but... watts is way better than the 300 milliwatts, so 0.3 watts that the lightning cable would do. But you're not going to charge a phone at 4.5 watts anytime soon. It'll take you forever. It could give you, like, 5% or even just enough to get the phone turned on. Yeah, but and you're blaming... And you're draining your own phone in the process. I don't, people aren't going to do that. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's good for charging, like, AirPods in a real, real pinch. People aren't going to charge other people's phones. It's, I'm going to report back on this. I'm we gonna... will. It won't happen. It's, I mean, Samsung wanted to make reverse wireless charging work between phone to phone, and that like didn't catch on in the slightest. Well, that was stupid. So yeah. is this. People aren't going to do that. I don't They're think you're right. Well, your iPhone 14 Pro <laughs> can't do anything, so... Oh, well, I'll tell you what. You know, have, you no one with an opinion. <laughs> iPhone 15 is going to charge my phone. It's just not going to happen. People like it's just weird. You're better off just carry. You're better off just carrying a charge in your bag, plugging in. I suppose. If you've got a wire, oh god, you've probably got the charger Fine. as well that goes along with it. <laughs> okay, you're right. No one's going to charge your iPhone 14 now after all this <laughs> anger. We'll come Definitely back. We'll not, see. Uh, in a few months, the, everyone yeah. on the bus will just be plugging in phones like <laughs> Avatar. You know. <sighs> Oh, what else on? Anything else on USB-C? 
the native display support's cool, so you can output oh, yeah. to mm-hmm. external monitors. And there was like a video where someone was playing a game, like they had Resident Evil Village or whatever, and they plugged it into a display mm-hmm. and it basically worked with a game controller. So that was pretty cool. You can imagine like, you know, people carry around presentations and stuff on their phone. They can just plug the phone in directly to the projector. Now you don't need an adapter and a dongle. So that's nice. Do you think they'll bring Stage Manager to iOS now? I think it's unlikely. Same. Otherwise, why would you buy an iPad? Yeah. <laughs> the iPad market's already so small. I think I, it's, a, it's a niche feature, and so maybe they might do it like mm-hmm. in the long arc of time, but on an infinite time scale. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like super high priority for them. The action button. Most of the reviews seem to agree with you that the press and hold requirement is kind of weird and makes it a little less useful. And there were lots of requests to to have a like a double press option whether that was to replace the long press or to give you two different settings to map two different things. One of the reviews, I think it was The Verge, pointed out that on the Pro Max, the action button's in kind of a funny position, which makes sense because the mute switch is kind of awkward to get to. But a lot of people, including myself, flip the mute switch to silent and never touch it again. So I'll be curious to know how much of an inconvenience that placement of the action button is yeah because i saw a couple of people say like they set it to the camera but then they just didn't really end up using it very often because it was easier to like swipe on the lock screen or press the button on the lock screen rather than reach up to the button so one of the reviews did make the good point that the benefit of setting the action button to the camera is that you can launch the camera from anywhere like if you're browsing in safari or whatever and want to quickly open the camera, it works in that context, which is probably more useful than yeah. launching it from the lock screen. But it depends, like, if it's ergonomically annoying to, like, rearrange your hand to press the button, Yeah, it might right. be easier to, like, open control center and press the camera struck right there, or just swipe on the on the home indicator and go home and click camera on the home screen, you know? Like, you have to be really convenient to beat the muscle memory that people have. Because, like, you watch someone else use a phone, they, like, open an app, they'll immediately, like, swipe up to the bottom and open another app. You know, like, that is such an ingrained thing that when people, if there are quicker ways to access stuff, like I see people like, you know, rather than using control center or something to adjust something, they'll like close out the app that happens to be in a folder. So then they got to close out the folder, swap three <laughs> home screens, open another folder, open the app they could have got through control center, do whatever they want to do, and then reopen, the, do the exact thing in reverse to go back to the app they were in. Like people don't use, like the convenience gestures, like swiping on the home indicator to, you know, quickly go back to your last use app or whatever. You can just like swipe horizontally. I use that, but you know, normal people, mm-hmm. it just, doesn't cut for whatever reason it just doesn't ingrain into people's minds to actually do it you know same thing with like keyboard shortcuts on a mac or a pc like people don't do command c command v very often most people still like press edit copy you know in the menu bar and stuff like it's just weird what people glow onto or not so well it's a social thing more than anything you know it's just weird, interesting to see how it develops so over time we'll see whether the action button actually has use you know in the real world I feel like Command C and Command V are probably pretty well known, but I'm sure there's other ones that people don't know. You know what I mean, though, right? Like, yeah, no, no, no. I get it. Yeah. Just something else we talked about was the idea of using the action button as like the shutter button for the camera, and that also seems like it's going to be less useful in practice because the reviews said that the action button's a little bit harder to press than the volume button, which already serves as a shutter button in the camera app, and they're located right next to each other. I think my plan of mapping the action button primarily to the camera 
is probably not going to happen. I'll probably rig up some sort of some sort of shortcut. That seemed to be one of the more popular options too. The camera action didn't really. I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe some people were hoping because there are already so many ways to access the camera, and the volume button is the shutter button. So at that point, you're kind of you have two buttons doing the same thing. There were a fair amount of reviews also wanted like a multi-step action, right? So you can like double click it or you know mm-hmm. maybe one action yeah. for single press, one action for double press, and then in a third action for long press and stuff. Like they might add that in time. I wouldn't count on it though. Uh, they haven't done it on the Apple Watch. They haven't done it on the Apple Watch so. exactly. Yeah, but you then look at the button on the opposite side of the phone, the power button, and you know they put a gesture, they put a different action when you long press it. They put a different action when you double-click it. They put a different action when you triple-click it if you set up the accessibility shortcut. So, you know, in some places, they're, they're not they're not afraid of overloading the buttons like that. But I wouldn't expect to see that change on the action button for, like, I went to iOS 18, you know? Like, I feel like this is yeah. how it'll be for a while. Mm-hmm. Camera stuff on the 15 Pro Max. The 5X telephoto lens, I think the response was a little bit better than I expected. I was a little down on the whole 5X versus 10X idea, but it seems like most of the comparison pictures between the iPhone 15 Pro Max zoomed in 5X compared to a Samsung phone zoomed in either 5X or all the way to 10X makes it look like Apple seemed to make the right decision. Especially in lower light when yeah. you just get more grain. Yeah. The, 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 the photos look pretty good. I'll give them that. Some of the reviews said that it's similar to the photo quality of the 3x telephoto lens which isn't great but i'm imagining there's probably some better post processing or image image signal changes to help especially all the way out at 5x but yeah i'm more excited now than i was i was kind of down on it but most of the reviews were positive one thing we talked about last week was apple's new coating on the lens to help with those blue dot reflections you see in your pictures when you are pointing at a light especially in low light conditions mkbhd didn't he basically said this doesn't really help which was disappointing this is like the problem that's plagued iphones for a long time and sounds like this fancy new lens coating doesn't doesn't fix it yeah at least not at least not universally maybe there's some situations where it helps but he he reproduced it pretty yeah. in a video <laughs> in multiple videos multiple it was bad yeah the the one thing that i said on last week's episode was about the like you know 1.2x 1.4x lens yeah. options mm-hmm. you got in the camera app which they say is equivalent to you know like a 24 millimeter or a 26 millimeter focal distance and i think yeah. last week i said isn't it just like digitally cropping like what's what's and it is actually a bit more complicated than that so what they're doing is they're doing the equivalent of what they do did last year to get the 2x lens right where it would use the center pixels, physical pixels of the lens to give you a 2X um, optically on the 1X sensor. And they're basically doing that again, but rather than doing 2X, they're only doing like, you know, 80% of the pixels or 70% of the pixels, which will give you like a 24 megapixel output um, at that 1.2, 1.4 position. So it is a bit more complicated than just digitally cropping the 1X photo, uh, which gives you a bit more optical quality on it. So that is nice. Uh, but yeah, it's just like zooming, but it is zooming using the physical pixels of the 48 megapixel sensor right, rather yeah. than cropping a 12 megapixel image or whatever. All in all, the 24 megapixel image default seemed to be well received. Makes 
relatively big difference. Otherwise, on the 15 Pro, the ProRes and log video stuff was all well-received over my head. But yeah, same. But people who need it seem to be pretty impressed with it. For the iPhone 15 and the iPhone 15 Plus, last week I know we said that the One X lens on the 15 Plus is the same as what was on the 14 Pro, that 48 megapixel lens. I guess that's not actually the case. John Gruber in his, repu- in his review pointed out that the One X lens on the iPhone 14 Pro is a 24 millimeter equivalent, whereas the lens on the 15 and 15 Plus is a 26 millimeter equivalent. And he said that shooting side by side on both phones in the same lighting, images on the iPhone 15 looked flatter and less vibrant than what he was getting on the 14 Pro. I think it's still good that the 15 and 15 Plus got that 48 megapixel sensor, but I didn't realize that it's not the exact same sensor. Yeah, it's not quite as good as what they shipped last year in the Pro models. But that the biggest thing on that is the 2x zoom option yeah. in the camera app so it gives you that telephoto option without the third lens i think more people will care about that than they care about a 26 millimeter versus 24 millimeter equivalent and then on the battery situation uh it's somewhat relevant with everybody saying the 14 pro battery was being a bit rough right leading up to this yeah the Mm -hmm. in if you're going to settings now on an iphone 15 it will tell you the battery cycle count directly, which is a stat they you could only get before by like connecting your phone to a Mac and looking up like the coconut battery app. Like you'd only get the percentage health. Now you can get battery battery cycle count. It will tell you when the battery is manufactured and when it was first used. So all like the shipping models say like manufactured in June and first used in September because they obviously start making them like in the summer. Uh, and uh, you can, as 95Mac reported on the software side uh, after the things came out, you can indeed set a 80% charge limit on battery charging. So right now on the on the current phones, you can do optimized battery charging, which is where it uses that like machine learning model to try and learn your patterns. And then automatically, um, say if, you, if it learns that you wake up at 9am, uh, for instance, or that's when you're ready to go out, it will like charge to like 80% overnight slowly from you know zero to 60 70 80 and then right before nine it will then do the last 20 percent to get you up to maximum um or if you have it off it just immediately goes to 100 and sits there but for optimal battery health you want to stay around the 80 percent level and not go above that because the extra 20 percent is what really strains the battery chemistry and so now if somebody's out there and they really want to preserve their battery health for the longest possible for the longest time possible they can explicitly say charge to 80 percent and no more so that is an option now which is also an option and the recommendation on like a lot of EVs. Obviously, significantly different sized batteries, but lithium ion works the same regardless of the size of the battery, I guess. I do think the 80% limit is nice, especially if you're someone like me who keeps their phone docked at a desk on a stand 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. pretty much every day, because you can just tell it to only charge to 80% and not go all the way up to 100%, then go from 97 to 100% and back and forth. But whether or not that has any lasting impact on battery health, especially if you're updating every year, I don't really know. But Some of the battery life testing I saw seemed to say it's about the same as the 14 Pro, which is disappointing. Apple says battery life is the same, but we were hoping that it a little bit extra. maybe you'd get a little bit closer to Apple's estimates, but doesn't seem to be the case overall i'd say it landed roughly where i expected it to 
Um, yeah. Camera's slightly better than I was expecting. Uh, CPU, GPU performance seems less impressive than I was expecting going into the event in general. Like, I was expecting to be a slightly bigger upgrade this year. Uh, and obviously, action button remains to be seen whether it actually be used long term. Uh, and people love the USB-C, so I guess the EU was right. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was thinking about is that the 15 and 15 Plus, and the 15 Plus in particular, is a much better value this year if you want the big screen phone. Because last year, the price difference between the 14 Plus and 14 Pro Max was only $200. But because they cut off that 128 gigabyte option for the 15 Pro Max, the difference is $300 now. And with the Dynamic Island, the 48 megapixel camera, 15 Plus looks pretty tempting, much more tempting than the 14 Plus was last year. And the rumors have been that the 14 Plus sold significantly worse than Apple was expecting. So we'll see if that changes this year. See if the iPhone 15 or the iPhone Plus in general lives to see too many more years beyond this year. Yeah. I think overall the lineup is pretty good. It, there's nothing... Um like crazy like wow you know that well, this is like this is like the defining feature of the year uh but i think if you look at the entire lineup from the you know the perspective of the company it's a better situation than the 14 lineup was last year so apple would be happy with how it shook out i think finally this week happy hour is sponsored by declutter now that the iPhone 15 lineup is released, old iPhone models are about to see a big drop in value. Historically, that drop has been about 15% in the first month following the launch of new iPhones and up to 27% depreciation three months after launch. That means that now is the time to lock in the trading value of your old phone. Declutter is 9to5Mac's official trading partner and it offers a fast, easy and free way to sell your old devices. And it's a better deal than carrier buyback programs. Declutter pays over 33% more and they do it in cash. Declutter makes it easy to lock in your iPhone's trading value with a generous 28-day price lock. That means that you can keep using your current iPhone and send your device in after you get your new one without having to take a depreciation hit. So to get started, it's super easy. Just hit the link in the show notes or head over to declutter.com slash 9to5mac and tell them what you're selling and you'll get a free instant valuation. And use promo code 9to5mac23 at checkout and Declutter will boost the value of your order by 10%. Then simply send them your items with free shipping and you can get paid the day after your items arrive by direct deposit or PayPal. That's declutter.com slash 9to5mac with promo code 9to5mac23. Thanks again to Declutter for sponsoring the show. And finally this week, software updates are out. So that's iOS 17, watchOS 10, tvOS 17, iPadOS 17, you know, in the notes, Mayo, you wrote watchOS 17, and it just really tripped me up. I've just spotted that. Yeah. Really tripped me up as I was reading those. WatchOS 10. We're not quite at watchOS 17. <laughs> these these updates were pretty smooth, right? Like, there wasn't any crazy problems. There wasn't a big issue. One thing that has flagged up is that the notification text tone that they added with the release candidate late in the game... Uh, a lot of people don't like it because the the complaint is basically that it's too quiet and the old tritone effect was much louder. And although you can change the text tone for messages, for the messages app, you can't change the 
notification tone used by third-party apps. Like if a third-party app has a custom noise, it will carry on using that. But if it's fallen back on the default, it will now use the rebound noise and you can't you can't choose anything different. And a lot of people are just saying that it's too quiet, the haptic's not as strong. Uh, but at, the mo- at least as 17.0, there's no way to change it back or choose anything different there. So mm, that might be a setting they add over time. Because uh, I think the new noise is kind of cool, but it is definitely quieter than what used to be there. It's completely random that they waited until the RC to add these new sounds. Because if they added them in the beta, they could have received this feedback and adjusted accordingly. Yeah, they could have just made the volume louder of the new sound. Like They don't have to throw it out entirely. The other complaint I've seen a little bit about is the new interface and messages to access iMessage apps. So like accessing photos, the voice recorder, Game Pigeon, the somehow incredibly popular way to play iMessage games. <laughs> a little bit more complicated because it takes two taps to get to that menu. Most of these complaints, I think, have been addressed once people realize that you can long press on the plus button to automatically bring up the photo picker. I think we talked about this when Apple added that in one of the later betas. Yeah, There's literally no way that any person is going to figure out that you long press on that button to bring up the photo picker without reading about it on 9to5Mac or wherever. It's the most undiscoverable interface option that I think we've seen in a while. It's just a bit bizarre. Like, I think eventually they'll come back around to just having another button on that horizontal bar that has yeah. photos at the top level. It used to be there. They got rid of it when they did the app drawer because that put like every app in the drawer and you could just keep the drawer available at all times. I like the plus button layout better than the the, yeah. the, the, mm-hmm. the horizontal drawer, but camera the like, picking a photo from the photo library is so much more used than every other option in that plus menu list that it deserves you know placement at the top level. It shouldn't be buried behind another click. I think I can say this, but Apple PR emailed me after I posted a story kind of telling you how to customize the new messages interface and how to access the photo picker. They were very gracious for the story. I think they've probably noticed that's one of the changes that's seeing a little bit of pushback. Otherwise, what you say, autocorrect throughout the beta process was great and it's still great for you? Yeah, I mean, across the entirety of iOS 17, day-to-day the keyboard improvements are probably the thing that I noticed for the better the most. Like most stuff in iOS 17, you can like take it or leave it. It's like fine, but it doesn't really change what you do. But the keyboard mm-hmm. is way better, I think. And if it does make a mistake, it underlining, you just better like click it to undo it. Is It just reduces the amount of frustration because you don't have to like go back and delete everything. You can just type away and you can immediately see if it's changed something. Because a, a, a lot of time what would happen before is you know, I can type pretty fast on the software keyboard, so I'd like write a whole sentence and then have to like read it back to check that I hadn't accidentally changed it, and if 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 something hadn't accidentally changed it to the wrong word. Um, now I feel like more often than not, it changes to the right word, and if it does change to the to the wrong word, it flags it up with the UI, and you can really easily undo it. So I think it's a massive improvement. Have you noticed the predictive text? feature kind of getting in the way sometimes when you say predictive do you mean like the where it shows you the next word in the text field like in line yeah yeah i don't really care for that mm-hmm. like it could just not be there and it wouldn't change it like the the, the autocorrect that i'm talking about is like after oh, you've typed something it changes it or not oh right? yeah like, yeah the typing ahead predictions which are basically just the predictions that you saw in the bar you know with the three options but they just put them directly in the text mm-hmm. field now uh don't really care for that i don't really use that very much 
It's led to me like accidentally putting a random word sometimes at the end of a text, just because if it, what if you hit the space bar again, it automatically fills in that word. So you have to adjust your muscle memory yeah. to not hit the space bar if you don't want to keep going. Yeah, because before to like accept the prediction, you'd have to touch it at the top, Tap, right? Yeah, on the bar, but mm-hmm. now the space bar does it. So I think that's something you kind of get used to. But there, yeah. there is no way to turn off the inline prediction without turning off the entire of the bar, which is kind of annoying. Because I would do that if you had the choice. Like I want the three options to be in that top, you know, above the keyboard. But I don't. I would turn off the inline grayed out text prediction. But there's no way to actually turn that off. The, the granularity of the setting isn't there. I didn't even know that setting existed at all. Well, there you go. I'm revolutionizing your world. The, the keyboard has loads of random settings you can turn on and off. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, But the, the newest feature, you can't change. Siri changes, so you can say, I just set off all of my devices by saying that. Yeah, it's really hard now to find a way to describe these features uh, without saying the wake word, because now you don't have to say two words anymore, you can just say one. But outside yeah. of context where you're having to explain features like this, <laughs> I do think this is a lot better. You can choose, right? You can. I think even maybe default, it stays to the old way and you have to explicitly pick. You can say just the one S word instead. I, I like. Look, obviously, the most important changes to Siri are making the thing more intelligent and do what you want. They haven't done that this year. It's the same as before. Hopefully, they're working on that, especially with the AI stuff we keep hearing about for maybe next year for a bigger update. But if you put that to one side, just being able to say one less syllable to activate it does mean quite a lot. Like it just makes it more easier to talk to. And the you know mm-hmm. the other competing assistant that's very popular, the Amazon one, is basically one word, right? It feels pretty easy to say. Now Apple has a one word wake as well. Um so it it just makes it much more approachable i think and it works on the phone it works on the home pod so i've I've changed that setting over and at least so far i haven't had the false positives that i feared uh i would have it doesn't wake up when i haven't asked it to or at least no more than when it was on the old setting. i wonder if this is another muscle memory thing that's going to be hard to adjust to we've been saying hey then the word for so many years that's ingrained in a lot of people's minds yeah. including my own it takes a while takes a while especially when they're not changing the default right yeah right i guess it does show up in the setup process after you update to ios 17 i think or at least definitely when you're setting up a new phone i think i think i'm right about that yeah i think it's at least a new phone setup uh, i got to try find the find my support for the siri remote uh, for the first time because the find the siri remote firmware only just came out right like with the rc and like all of Apple's accessories, you can't force an update on the Siri remote, right? You just have to let it sit there and eventually it'll up- update to the latest firmware, which then uh, allows the find button to appear in the control center on the iPhone. Um, I'm, it, it, again, the, fi- the Siri remote itself does not have a U1 chip in it, doesn't have a speaker in it. So what they do is basically what the old AirPods Find My was like, where it's just like Bluetooth. It's kind of near you, it's kind of far away, and you kind of have to do like hot cold as you walk around, and it will say signal increasing or signal decreasing. So, I mean, it does let you know that like the remote is in the same room, I guess. Like, oh, you haven't accidentally taken it upstairs, it's still in the living room. But if you're in the living room, it can't help you find it. It's not grand. I don't think it's specific enough to like iron it down you basically just have to manually search once you're in the room what you want is the remote to be able to make a noise then you can go oh it's under this it's under this cushion right here you know and just pick it out 
uh, I think pretty obviously the next Siri remote revision, they probably will add a speaker and then the find button in the control center will be way more useful. Uh, but for now, it exists. Especially with the U2 chip in the iPhone 15 and new Apple Watches. I still think right now, though, the best way if you lose your Siri remote a lot is just to buy one of those cases one on those Amazon cases, where you can yeah. stick an AirTag in it. And just saying the Siri remote word set off my HomePod again. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm going to have to turn that off. Anything else on tvOS? Uh, yeah, one more thing. The enhanced dialogue uh, feature actually does work pretty well. So I spoke about this during the summer uh, because it shows up if you just had the tvOS beta, but it wouldn't actually do anything unless the HomePods were also updated. So enhanced dialogue requires you to be using Apple TV with HomePod as the as the home theater speakers, right? So it doesn't work with just any, like connects to your television. It specifically works with the HomePod. But basically, if you turn on this option, which appears next to reduce loud sounds in the video player, uh, it boosts the the dialogue uh, above the rest of the noise in the show, whatever you're watching, and it's subtle, but it definitely helps. And like, if you've got like a show with background noise or like music, it pushes the vocals and just the vocals above that. So I can see myself using it right in certain conditions when certain shows just have really bad audio mix. So it does work. I was happy. So with that. can you enable that and reduce loud sounds? At yeah, the same yeah, time? yeah. It's two separate options. Yeah. VPN support is something in tvOS 17. I don't think mm. we've talked about that. Yeah. But you did is... a post on a couple options. Yeah, there's about five or six options at the moment. More getting added all the time. Uh, before, if you want to use a VPN with the Apple TV, you'd have to like run the VPN on your, on your like Wi-Fi router, your network router, and then just connect the Apple TV to that. It wasn't like iPhone or iPad where you can just install the VPN directly on the device and it can channel it that way. But now tvOS 17, it does work like that. And so you can download a VPN app from the App Store. Much easier. The, the Apple TV can connect directly. And, you know, a lot of the selling points of VPNs these days is the geographic relocating, which allows right. you to access yeah. content on these services that are geolocked normally. And so a lot of people want to do that with streaming boxes like Apple TV, and now you can yeah. with TVS 17. Probably more useful for people outside of the United States. Well, like BBC iPlay is UK only, right? And so That's theoretically yeah. you could VPN around and... I mean, if you VPN, if you only VPN, the app store will still be in the US region. So, like, you know, this isn't like officially sanctioned uh, things. Apple says it's yeah. just for security <laughs> or privacy, right? But, you know, most people are using it to circumvent the licensing restrictions. So, but anyway, it's there. People will, will use it. Uh, people are happy about it. iPad OS 17, in addition to most of the things in iOS 17, it has some upgrades to Stage Manager. This has been in our notes to talk about for a while now. And you've been harassing me about doing something more in-depth on it. Today is not that day. <laughs> Today is not that day. And I don't know if that day is ever going to come. Eventually. I have heard. I have heard. There are more stage manager changes coming very soon. Yeah. Did you mm. actually hear that? May have. Because on Connected, Federico Vitici said the same thing. Uh, let me say, I heard it unreliably. And then when Federico said it, I was like more confident. Let me put it that way. All right. <laughs> exclusive you heard it here yeah but right now the high level changes in stage manager in iPadOS 17 you can more freely place windows so the grid of apps doesn't try to automatically align your windows based on however apple thinks you should align them so you have more freedom and you can have overlapping windows partially overlapping windows that's a pretty big change and then you can also now shift click on an app icon in the dock or in spotlight search 
and it'll automatically add that doc to your current stage instead of opening it in a completely new stage. And that by far was my biggest complaint about the first iteration of Stage Manager on the iPad. So with that and the more freely resizable and placeable windows, Stage Manager on iPadOS 17 is it's something that I could see myself using more as a Mac not replacement, but more in a way that's more similar to how I use my Mac. I think a good way to like summarize it is it's like it's still not as good or as productive as using a Mac, but at least now it's not annoying, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's it. Standby in iOS 17 seems to be pretty popular, especially now that we're seeing some third-party apps add good standby widgets. Widgetsmith has a whole bunch of different options. One of my complaints with standby through the beta testing process was that Apple doesn't give you a digital clock. Like the only options were analog clocks if you wanted to use that first standby design where you can put two widgets side by side. But there's an app I found called World Clock Widget that gives you a standby widget for that first arrangement with a digital clock, which is a really nice change. I want to use standby. I just need to get a horizontal dock thing. I just haven't bought well, one. as we said, you're going to be waiting a while. Yeah, they're hard You to and find. everybody else in the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you think about interactive widgets for the home screen? Have you been using anything there? I haven't really. Um, I tried them out, obviously. I, they, I For a while, I had the home app widgets on the second page. So you can like toggle yeah. lights and stuff with one tap. They were a bit buggy, though. So I kind of stopped using them. Not, not like the interactivity was buggy. It's just the widgets would like blank out and just go white. So the problem with the home widget too is it cut off so much text. It would be like the first few letters of an accessory name and then just dot, 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 dot in every spot on the widget. Well, I, I would do the widget only where it's one widget item. Oh, so like okay. by default, it does yeah. four, right? Which was kind of too squished together, but you can manually select just one accessory. So the whole square widget takes up one accessory. So I just had like, and I did a stack. So I had like lights for each room where I've got HomeKit lights. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. yeah. And so I think I, I, I was using that throughout the summer a lot. And then it was just glitching out and bugging out. Um, but I'd probably go back to doing that now. Now you've reminded me, actually. I'll check that out on, on Release <laughs> Canada and see if it's better again. But yeah, I, on my actual home screen, I only have the weather widget, which doesn't um, have any interactivity on it. For me, interactivity is good for things, which they're sponsoring this episode, but I've used things for years. Being able to tick things off right on the home screen is nice. Again, Widgetsmith has some really cool stuff. You can even make like a cover flow widget that mm, you can add yeah, your favorite cool. albums to and like swipe through them right on the home screen. You can tap on an album in that cover flow widget and it automatically starts playing in Apple Music, which is pretty cool. Because one of the problems with widgets in general is that you tap and go to the app of that widget. It's always going to be like in Widgetsmith's case it's always going to go to Widgetsmith, regardless of what information is on the widget. So this means that you can start playback of an album or a song right from the home screen through Apple Music without being taken to the Widgetsmith app. Otherwise, Music App has that like redesigned the now playing screens a lot nicer. You get that full bleed artwork with many artists. Crossfade's a big one Crossfade, in Apple Music now. Yeah. Contact posters. Do you want to reveal that you finally updated your iMessage picture for the first time in like 30 years to an actual picture of yourself just for contact posters? I haven't been alive for 30 years. Oh, it hasn't been that long. Yeah, pretty close, though. 
yeah getting there getting there the um yeah I, I did a contact poster to try out it and do it and i did i like the idea of contact posters but i wish they give you a bit more option in terms of layout and customization there's only four font choices and none of the fonts i like really loved so i have picked one but i wish you could have more font choices and i don't know maybe move it around a bit i was also a bit i was also a bit unsure what happens because like they show you a preview on your phone of what it look of what the contact person right. looks like and like the position of like your head versus where the text is but what happens on like an iphone se or something do you know like how does it lay it out yeah. i don't actually know that um so maybe your head gets cut off if you have a like significantly smaller phone or something um but yeah i think contact posters are cool the fact they just show up when someone calls you is really nice it's by do you thought it's context only but you can do everyone or whatever um i did change my photo at the same time but that was mainly just because i was making contact posters i haven't decided yet whether that photo will proliferate to twitter and whatever else but i think it should but you obviously like it <laughs> i love it it's time i was so surprised when i opened messages this morning <laughs> it said benjamin mayo has a new photo and i said what is happening oh you should remember yesterday you said because i updated my photo recently and what it messages gave you the option to revert it or yeah something so weird? it changed your <laughs> picture but i could click undo basically and go back to your old one if i preferred that one <laughs> so did you do it which one do you like more um I, I don't think i actually pressed the button so i'll take that as a compliment yeah one random complaint that i got from my sister this week she was like what's new in ios 17 and i was like here are some a few things and her conclusion was that she does not care and probably is not going to update her phone a because she's out of storage but b the only two things she cares about are being able to see who's typing in a group chat and then also letting you remove the text under home screen widgets so if you have a bunch of widget smith widgets you don't have to see widget smith that would be nice i wish they would yeah that option but it's weird to me i kind of understand that but i really don't understand like the lack of typing indicators for group messages yeah that is weird isn't your sister getting the iPhone 15 though? I have two sisters. The younger one is not getting the iPhone 15. Okay, so the but not the sister that's saying she's not updating. So I was going to say she's going to be yeah. forcibly, forcibly updated. Very she soon, very shortly. she is the one who I think I said this on the show a couple weeks ago. Asked if she could buy more storage for her iPhone 12 because <laughs> she was out of space. So yeah, she doesn't really care. That's fine. Most people don't care. Like out of every iOS release of recent history, this is probably one where people don't care you know like it's just a lot of small things yeah it's a lot of Nothing. small things nice nice update offline maps and stuff like yeah that's a good one yeah multiple timers is handy when you actually need it and you know those situations um, ev charging information mm. like real-time availability there's just loads of bits and bobs that make it better and i don't think there's anything that's a real big downside but people update when they update you know and stuff that's coming in 7.1 uh, like the journaling app and some other features might convince more people to jump on board and obviously then they'll have the emoji update or whatever else. So, yeah, I think iOS 17 is perfectly good release. Like, it's way better than like 13, you know, it was where everyone was like, you know, don't touch it, don't update it, it's like terrible, yeah. whatever, and crashing all over the place. So I'd always pick an update which is slightly less on the super fancy but still has useful stuff in it. We were spoiled by iOS 14, which is yeah. <laughs> probably the biggest update we've ever seen. There was just so much excitement around widgets. and Another thing they haven't added, though, is the custom app icons, which also became insanely popular with iOS 14, but you had to do the shortcuts workaround. 
still not a native option. But watchOS 10. Yeah, I haven't really... I'm, my relationship with watchOS 10 is not very positive because of my watch. Your Series 4. My Series 4. Still, they have made it better over the summer, but it's still pretty slow, I would say, on watchOS 10. Like, clicking on, like, going from the messages list to, like, an me- individual conversation. It chugs. It takes ages. It's like it's, like, loading up that blur that's new this year. It's like, I don't really care. I just want to see the message. But no, we've got to see this blur effect that clearly the watch can't really support very well. Um, and all the app UIs are all, like, made bigger now for, no, for some cases, no good reason. Like, the messages list, it's, like, every message. Yeah item has the person's face huge it's like don't really need that but now i can only see like one message per scroll so it looks nice on my ultra i'm sure it does but <laughs> i have the smallest watch that's even smaller than the currently sold smallest watch so i haven't had a super thrilling experience with it so far but i'm hoping that my um sentiment will improve slightly when i do get the series 9 yeah i don't have many things to say about watch os 10 i'm using the widgets and the smart stack widgets all that less than i expected i think it's it's just such a big change to how you interact with the apple watch it's tricky to get the muscle memory to adapt to remembering that oh hey i can go down a little bit and see a whole bunch of additional information especially because i use a pretty information dense watch face in general most of the time i guess it's nice if you do want to choose something a bit more fashionable as your watch face the new solar Solar analog face is is pretty, and it pairs well with having most of your information in widgets instead of as complications. The full screen app design is nice, but like you said, it's kind of overkill in some places. Otherwise, I don't even know what else is in watchOS 10. There's some new fitness stuff, especially for biking, I think was a big focus. They changed the buttons around, right? Like, you know, you press the side button, it opens control center. So that's different. Yeah, I've gotten used to that. I've gotten used, I've gotten to, gotten that, used yeah. to that. Yeah, but that'd be something that people like jar on a bit because they'll try and swipe and it, it won't do it. But you do get a like tutorial when you update saying that this has now gone over here. And but yeah, I haven't been like. There's not like one big feature of WatchOS 10 that I'd be like saying is a big big positive. It's fine. It's just small. All in all, though, pretty smooth software updates this year. Probably have new betas soon. Mac OS Sonoma on September 26th, I think. So we can talk about that next week. What else? Next week we can talk about my iPhone 15 Pro Max impressions and your long-awaited Apple Watch Series 9 impressions. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about that. I'm excited to hear about... Wow, the screen stays yeah. on all day. <laughs> I'm excited to hear you complain about it being slightly bigger. I mostly complain that it's dark blue instead of black. Oh, that's right. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. The man who buys everything in black had to buy dark blue. Yeah. <laughs> midnight band, midnight watch. Unfortunate. Well, you're carbon neutral now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not because I bought the sport oh, band. Oh, you got the sport band. <laughs> yeah. Your leather iPhone case, your sport band Apple Watch. Unbelievable, Ugh. right? Well, let me put it this way. I'm glad I didn't order a, a fine woven band uh, given what's happening. That is true. Yeah. You didn't spend $250 on fine woven accessories like somebody else. Now you can return them, I guess. Yeah, I plan on it. But until next week, you can send us some feedback. Happy hour at 9to5mac.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts where you can get an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or 50 bucks a year. 
You can find me on Twitter, Threads, Mastodon, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.